morning, Galatians chapter 4, we have several places to look at in the Bible. We'll try to do so quickly. We've been studying the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We'll continue in that study this morning. That is the incarnation. That is the incredible mystery of God becoming a man. God being robed with flesh. God tabernacling on this earth. We studied together the timing of his incarnation, where it fell in the calendar year, most likely September, definitely not December. But not only that, how the Bible pinpoints not just the specific details about his birth and about his life, about the place of his birth, those associated with his birth, all those all those things that are prophesied, but the exact timing of his coming in history is pinpointed in the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks laid out in Daniel chapter Nine. So not only do we have details regarding the life of the Messiah, we have the exact timeline for his coming laid out in the Old Testament scripture. No doubt whatsoever that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all those messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. The Jews today, they're still waiting on their Messiah to come, but they missed the timeline God gave them in Daniel chapter number nine. Then last week we studied the miracle of the incarnation. We started in Genesis and carried it through the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the doctrines of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and the deity of Jesus Christ and how those two are inextricably tied together in the incarnation. Jesus Christ was a man, but he was not just a man. He was God in a human body. He was God manifest in the flesh, 100% man and 100% God all at the same time and coming to the world for a very specific purpose all of the scriptures we looked up about the virgin birth, the deity of Jesus Christ in his incarnation, it all concludes and all points to this statement in 1 John 3, 5, and he was manifested to take away our sins. The reason God became a man, the motivation behind it, the purpose for it is the fact that you and I are sinners in need of a Savior and there was no other way. There was no other option. Christ himself prayed in the garden, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But it was not possible for God to save us without his son becoming a man and dying on a cross in our place for our sins. And the miracle that God would love us enough to do so, it's just incredible. We want to continue along those lines as we get started this morning. Pick up right where we left off and then move to what I said last week we talk about today. That is the perpetuity of the incarnation. Galatians chapter 4, these verses, look at three passages, all deal with the necessity of the incarnation. We, we saw the miracle of it. We saw the purpose of it. But why was it necessary? Why did God have to become a man in order for our sins to be remedied, in order for our sins to be forgiven, in order for our for us to move from a lost condition to a saved condition, from a sinful condition to a righteous condition, from a separated from God condition to a child of God condition. Why did God have to become a man in order for that to happen? Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of Sons, Again, what was the purpose? What was the reason given to redeem them? Why did God send his son? Why did he come into the world through a virgin womb? Because we needed redemption. Come to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9. 
Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9 says this. Hebrews 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death. A little lower than the angels. That is humanity. Jesus made humanity for purpose, reason, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Not just those foreordained before the foundation of the world, sovereignly decreed by God to be saved, to be the elect. No, 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 no. Jesus died for everybody. It was not a limited atonement. It was a worldwide atonement. Jesus made for it became him, verse 10, for whom are all things and by whom are all things. You get that? The one who became a man, he's the one who made everything. He's the one who's the heir of all things. And yet he humbled himself to this extent. Came him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, and bring many sons in glory to make captain their salvation perfect through sufferings, both of you that sanctified and those who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I'll declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, I sing praise unto thee. And again, I'll put my trust in him. Behold, I am the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So why did Jesus partake of flesh and blood? So that he could destroy death. So that he could deliver those who lived in fear of death, verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject bondage. For verily took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things behooved him to be made likened to his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. It was not possible to reconcile sinful man to holy God without taking upon himself the form of humanity so that he could die and by his death defeat death and bring God and man together. It, Hebrews 2 says it was necessary for him to become a man in order to deliver us, in order to redeem us. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 19. Hebrews chapter 7. In verse number 19, the Bible says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. Who we're talking about? Jesus Christ. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said to him, Lord, swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety. Of a better testament. They truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, you see that? But this man, who is that? The man, Christ Jesus, God in a human body, the creator of the world, entering the enter, entering onto the earth through the womb of a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem. Incredible mystery. But this man, because he continueth ever, we'll come back to that have an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore, because he did this, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God, come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Why was it necessary for God to become a man to save us? Because it was man's sins that he had to die for. And only by becoming a man could he qualify as man's substitute. Why could the blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews 10, never take away sins? Because it's not a fit substitute. 
it's a good picture, it's a good type, it's a good, it's a good demonstration of the concept of the innocent dying in the place of the guilty. That goat can't atone for my sins. It's, it's not a human creature, right? In order to be a substitute, in order to die in our place, he had to be one of us. And so God became a man. But in order to be a substitute, he had to be a sinless man. Not dying for his own sins, but the sins of, of, of all other sinners. Well, then he had to be God. Because only God is sinless. Because every son of Adam is tainted with Adam's sin, is born with a, a desire and ability to, 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 to do that which displeases God. So he had to become a sinless man, a sinful man, would have to die for his own sin and couldn't die for the sin of others. And so Jesus Christ, he was God and he was man. He was God manifest in the flesh. He was word made flesh and dwelt among us. He, he, he always did what pleased the Father, John 8, 29. He fulfilled the law to the letter, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. And as the God man, he met every claim of justice and qualified in every particular as the sinner's perfect substitute. He had to become a man so he could die in our place, so we could be saved and reconciled to God. There absolutely was no other way. Our salvation hinges on the divine nature and the human nature of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was not who the Bible very clearly says him to be, then it would not be possible for us to be saved. That's why the incarnation, that's why the virgin birth, that's why the deity of Christ, that's why these are such important and essential doctrines. Look at 1 John chapter 4 quickly. 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> these verses highlight the importance of those biblical concepts. 1 John chapter 4. And verse number one, first John chapter four and verse one says, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out in the world. You can't just believe somebody because they say they speak on behalf of God, because they say they're Christian, because they say they believe in Jesus. You got to You got to You got to test it. You got to try it. You got to find out what they say, what they believe. If it matches the Bible hereby, no, we the Spirit of God. Here's the litmus test in verse number two. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. I don't care if you call yourself a Christian. If you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, if you deny the humanity of Jesus Christ, if you don't put the two of those together properly, you're not a Christian. You're an Antichrist. And there are many false denominations, many false teachers, many false prophets today who deny uh, these truths from the Word of God and without them, there is no salvation, okay? So there's the necessity of the incarnation. Now come to Luke chapter 24. Let's talk about the perpetuity of the incarnation. The perpetuity, it, it is perpetual. It is ongoing. God became a man and never stopped being a man. We said last week that Christ did not lay aside his deity when he took upon humanity. That is, he did not cease to be God when he entered the world through Mary's womb in Bethlehem and was laid 
in a manger. When, when God became a man, he was still fully God. But it is equally true that he did not lay aside his humanity when he rose again the third day and then ascended to the right hand of his father. Sitting on the throne in heaven this morning is the man, Christ Jesus. Okay? He was, he was not known as Jesus until the time that he was born. Right? John 1, in the beginning was the word. Words with God, word was God, all things made by him. First John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. But then what happened? John 1, 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What did the angel of the Lord say to Joseph and the dream? Call his name Jesus. Because Mary's going to have a baby. What, what did Gabriel say to Mary? You're going you're gonna to be with child of the Holy Ghost, and I want you to call that child Jesus, that holy thing, the body God prepared him. God entered the world as a human. His human name is Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, he lived in a human body. He died in a human body. He rose in a human body. He ascended in a human body. And he sits on God's right hand today in a human body. When he took upon humanity, that was something that was going to last forever. He was not going to take upon humanity and then set aside humanity. He was going to take upon humanity and continue in that condition throughout the rest of eternity. That's what we mean by the perpetuity of the humanity, of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse number 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. This is Resurrection Sunday. Uh, his body was not found in the tomb when they went that morning to uh, put spices upon him. And then John and Peter running in to see what the women had said. No, his body was out of the tomb. He had risen again. And Jesus here appears to the disciples in Luke 24, verse 37. They were terrified and affrighted. Suppose that they had seen a spirit. I guess so. It'd be pretty freaky if somebody just appears in the room. The door doesn't open. The window doesn't open. Right? Might respond the same way. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Well, it's because they forgot about the whole resurrection thing. Verse number 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones... As ye see me have. Now Jesus has risen again. He died. His body was put in a tomb. But then his body got back up. On resurrection morning. When he appears to the disciples. He says hey guys. Touch me. Look at these wounds. Hey Thomas. Thomas. You said you're gonna, not going to believe unless you see. Look, you, you can do more than see. You can feel. Stick your fingers through the holes. Stick your hand into my side. Look, I'm not a spirit. I did come in the room without opening the door, but I'm not a spirit. Spirit that have flesh and bones. Jesus, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his glory, he's still a man with a body. And he appears and he says, you can touch me, you can see me, you can feel me. I'm not a spirit. Now, God is a spirit, right? 
the, the eternal word of God until he was robed with flesh? It's a spirit, right? But now he has a body and he'll always have a body. Verse number 40, when he thus spoke and he showed them his hands and his feet, while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said to them, have you here any meat? I'll prove it to you. Bring me some food. Verse 42, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it, did eat before them. All right, so here's Jesus in his resurrection eating and drinking in a human body. Look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20, I think I just mentioned this. This is Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut. And stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it in my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. A couple pages later, about 40 days after the resurrection at this point. But ye shall receive power, Jesus says to his disciples, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. That commandment is still valid. That applies to us. That's God's will for his church. Verse number 9, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up at heaven? This... Same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He ascended as a man. He is returning as a man. He came. He lived in a human body. He died in a human body. He rose in a human body. He ascended in a human body. He is returning in a human body to rule and reign on the earth, sitting on a throne in Jerusalem as ruler over the entire world, that will be the man, Christ Jesus, because his incarnation is perpetual. Look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. There's a point to all of this that we're working toward. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 30. I just want you to see... The fact clearly established in the Bible. Acts chapter 17 verse number 30 says, The times of the cigarettes God winked at. Here's Paul preaching on Mars Hill. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he had the point of day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead, the one who will judge the world is the one that was raised from the dead and is referred to as that man, Christ Jesus. On judgment day, God will take our lives or the lives of the lost, compare them to the life of a man who did live perfectly. And that man will cast judgment upon their sinful deeds and unrighteousness and rejection of the offering that he made on their behalf. God will judge the world in righteousness by that man. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse number 9. Colossians 2 and verse 9. Look at verse... 
<clears throat> 6. Colossians 2, 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding there with thanksgiving, bore lest him and spoil you, philosophy and vain deceit, of the traditional men, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ, for in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay, here, here is a human representation of God. Here is, here is a manifestation, manifest. Man, here is a manifestation of the divine nature. But look at the tense of the verb in verse number nine. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead body. That, that, that ending on the verb dwell, dwelleth. That's not just so it can sound fancy. That's not just so it can sound old timey. That is a continual, ongoing tense. To dwell, that's in the present. Will dwell, that's in the future. Dwelt or dwelled, that's in the past. However you want to conjugate. Okay? But dwelleth, that is ongoing, perpetual. And in Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead Bodily, he is continually and ongoing the bodily representation of the Godhead. So his humanity and his, his incarnation, it is perpetual. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5. It's interesting, we, 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 we recognize, we believe, we understand the fact that God became a man. But I don't know, we all often think of the fact that that his humanity is never something that he set aside after the fact. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. When is Paul writing this? My, my Bible says about 65 AD. 30, more than 30 years after Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And he's still referred to as the man who is the mediator. And unless he's a man, he cannot mediate. Unless he's a man, there is no daysman betwixt man and God who can lay his hand upon them both and bring the two together. Now, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, winding down. Hebrews chapter 10. And verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Again, Jesus, the, the man, Christ, he died, he was buried, he rose again. When he ascended, he was still a man. On the right hand of God. He is the man. Christ Jesus. This incarnation is something. Of an everlasting nature. It is something that. It happened at a point in time in history. But it it, it, it was never reversed. Okay. Now why, why is this important? Why do we spend the time to establish this fact from the Bible? One of the things that I want you to think about this morning. Is that it simply increases the marvel of the miracle 
of the Incarnation. The fact that when God became a man 2,000 years ago in history, but never set that humanity aside, it, it underscores the sacrifice that he made. It underscores the humility that was required in order to condescend to save sinful man. You understand, it would be a whole lot better to be God in heaven than to be a man on the earth. <laughs> I mean, the Lord of glory was willing to come here and live among us. To, to, to be rejected, reviled, ridiculed, scorned, beaten, mocked, crucified by sinful men whom he created. He was willing to do all that in a body of human flesh, but then not ever lay aside that body to live for the rest of eternity as a man. It, it only heightens the miracle of the fact that, that the Son of God was willing to do that it wasn't just a temporary thing. When he took human form, he didn't lay it aside. And yet, he was still willing. He humbled himself, became obedient to even the death of the cross. Now look at Hebrews chapter 2. Not only does it, does it increase the marvel of the miracle of the Incarnation... But the perpetuity of Christ's humanity increases his ability to minister to us as a merciful and faithful high priest. There are things that God can do for us because he became a man and continued as a man that he could not have done for us otherwise. Now think about that statement. There are things that God can do for us because he became a man and continued as a man that he could not have done for us otherwise. That, that almost sounds sacrilegious. You're suggesting there is something God could not do. I'm not suggesting it. I'm going to show you from the Bible. Okay, look at Hebrews chapter 2. And verse number 17 again, Wherefore, in all things behooved him to be likened to his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He could not save us had he not become a man. But it extends beyond that, verse number 18, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Jesus Christ can help us in the time of temptation that we face in our lives upon the earth in a way that he could not have done so had he not walked through that same temptation himself. Not only can he be our Savior because he became a man, but now he can be our helper because he became a man, because he faced the battles that we face on a daily basis, he is better equipped to run to our aid in time of temptation. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. It explains it further. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 14. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then. That we have a great high priest that is passing the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, that is hold fast our profession. 
For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus experienced the gamut of human emotions. Jesus experienced hunger and thirst and, and weariness and rest. He, he, he knows what it is like to live on the earth in a human body. And so when we go to him, he's not only sympathetic, he is empathetic. He, he knows what it feels like to face the situations that we face. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And so we can come and get grace from him and mercy from him and help from him in a way that we would not be able to do so had he not became and continued to be humanity. That's what Hebrews says. Look at chapter 5. In verse number five, so also Christ glorified not himself and made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, that are priests forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, we had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears to him that was able to save him from death and was heard that and he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. God learned something. By becoming a man. So the Bible, that is an incredible statement. I would not have thought there was anything that God could learn. But God learned what it was like to be an obedient human. When he was incarnated. Verse number 9. And being made perfect. I thought God was already perfect. Yes, God is sinless. But it added to his nature it added to his ability it added to the blessing he would be able to bestow upon us when he came in the days of his flesh and being made perfect he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him called of god and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he became a man because we couldn't be saved otherwise. He continues as a man because that was that 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 whole thing it was irreversible. He will return as a man, but today as a man he sits on the right hand of God as our merciful and faithful high priest, better able to help us live the Christian life than he would be if he had not taken on a human nature. All right, that's the perpetuity of the incarnation. Hope that was enlightening and helpful for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, surely thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, Lord help us to, to marvel continually at the fact that you loved us enough to come. Be our Savior. Be our Redeemer. God, thank you for eternal life. Thank you for abundant life. Thank you. We get to be in church this morning. Would you bless the preaching time? And help us, dear God, to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Be faithful witnesses for our worthy Savior. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.